Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel message is by Bobby Martin, Professor of Visual Arts at JBU. You guys are awesome. A great job, worship band, that was awesome too. Um, I just to do, introduce myself. My name is Bobby Martin. I am professor of visual arts here at JBU, um, and I bring greetings on behalf of the art department. Thanks to Tracy Balzer for that invitation to speak today. Thank you to all the folk, all these amazing students and others who've been praying for me and uh, holding me up, uh, encouraging me. Is it a little scary? It's pretty. I'm kind of terrified. So just bear with me as I present these two themes today. Uh, that are crucial to us as followers of Christ. The resurrection, which we heard two great songs over, and the work of our hands. So as part of this Preaching Through the Windows series this semester, I've been asked to speak on chapel window number nine. The top part of the window depicts Jesus' resurrection. Streams of light from heaven, Easter lilies, the Greek Cairo symbol, the earth broken by an earthquake, and a rolled away stone and an empty tomb. The bottom part of the window represents the hand aspect of JBU's head, heart, and hand mission. Sheets of plans, a triangle, a gear, and a mallet in a worker's hand. Let's start with a concept contained in the top half of the window, resurrection. I know this is not Easter, which we usually talk about resurrection, but I really think resurrection is a permanent and amazing part of our life as Christians. The resurrection of Jesus is a cornerstone of the Christian faith, the proof that Jesus overcame sin and death on our behalf and gives us the hope of our own resurrection. Paul writes to the Philippian church and to us in Philippians 3, 8 through 11, that he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I would have sung those words, but you wouldn't want to hear that. But it's hard to read these words without breaking out into that old gospel tune that it came from, a tune that rejoices in the Christian's coming time of reward in the hereafter. Christ's resurrection is what we place our hope in for our ultimate triumph over our inevitable death. I think it's providential that I'm getting to speak on this topic while Ross Wilson's art exhibition about another well-known resurrection is showing in our Wingate Art Gallery just next door. The 60 portraits in Ross's The Calling of Lazarus are a visual metaphor for the actual physical transformation that happens when Jesus calls us from death to life. As surely as the calling of Jesus' voice reanimated Lazarus, so our bodies will be resurrected by the call of our Savior. Our reanimation, our personal resurrection, is what Paul 
And we, as followers of Christ, seek to attain through the power of Jesus' example. Jesus himself tells Martha, right before he calls Lazarus forth from the cave, that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Wow, (laughs) that's great news. That's the ultimate news and an incredible hope and promise for us as Christians. It's a hope that has kept generation after generation of believers able to maintain their faith in the face of cruel hardship, persecution, and death. It's a promise that's been eagerly, eagerly awaited by untold Christians as the reward for a life of faithful obedience and stewardship and remains today a foundational touchstone and distinctive of the Christian faith, an idea that allows us to live out our lives for Christ, truly trusting that to live is Christ and to die is gain. As Paul affirms in Philippians 3:20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are called to see life through the lens of eternity. The world is not our home. We're just passing through, to quote another old gospel song. But as we await this resurrection and the ultimate reconciliation with our Creator, I'm also reminded of the words to a different song. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. As Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So yes, while the long view of our Christian life holds the eternal promises of new bodies and gold-paved streets, in the near term, our temporal earthly existence involves daily working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. In no way is Paul suggesting that we have to earn our salvation under our own power, but it does point to a basic and crucial responsibility and, yes, ultimately joy that we have been given of working with our head, our heart, and our hands for the Lord. We were created to think and to feel and especially, I think, to do. I want to concentrate the rest of this talk on the doing part of our calling as Christians the hand aspect of JBU's educational mission. Let me quote from the writings that document JBU founder John Brown's thinking about creating an education that stresses the work of our hands. This is quoting, no aspect of the founder's vision so differentiated JBU from most post-secondary institutions as the practical concept of the hand. Brown decried the education of the day that prepared young people for grasshopper lives without God, depending on others to produce the essentials for life. In the founder's mind, there was no separation possible between God and knowledge or between knowledge and practical service. This conviction was nowhere nowhere more manifest than on the campus of John Brown University, where up to 25 productive industries provided for the needs of the campus and its surrounding community while providing work experience for its students and income for the ongoing enterprise. These industries were integral to allowing JBU to offer a Christian college education to young people, many of whom were financially unable to obtain an education elsewhere. 
as the founder wrote in 1938 in The American Crisis and the Way Out. On College Hill is a little city of interest with a radio station, a bank, publishing house, garage, electric shop, irrigated gardens, and a Jersey herd, which are cows. Here in this city of interest, a marvelous youth is not, as multitudes mistakenly believe, working its way to an education, but using the phrase I have so often used and a phrase that few people seem to understand, this youth is educating its way to work. Work in the sense of giving the nation leadership in teaching and industry. Here, in the first vocational industry in America, vocational university in America, is an opportunity for young people to train out into the world where it can safely be said that there will be a demand for every graduate. So as we can see from these writings, from the very beginning, JBU, in the founder's mind, there was no separation possible between God and knowledge or between knowledge and practical service. Particularly important in the early days of JBU was learning and practicing practical skills appropriate to the times. The question today might be, as we look at these photos of the early days at JBU, are these practical skills, the work of our hands, that were taught as important back in these days, still valid today? Before we try to answer that question, let's take a look at the value God places on our handiwork in the context of my, my own area of specialty, art and design. Listen to the word of God from Exodus 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. This still blows me away every time I read it. The first recorded example in Scripture of a human being filled with the Holy Spirit of God was not a scribe, not a priest, not a prophet, but an artist. A humble craftsman who worked with his hands and was empowered by, God, by the God of Israel to take on the task of designing and building the tabernacle, a temple worthy of the living God. This is a great example of the seriousness the importance of the task that God places on artists and designers to be creative, just as he is creative, and to do it to his glory. What an astounding revelation for all of us to realize the value that the Lord places on those he has given abilities to devise artistic designs. We artists who call ourselves followers of Christ should all take note of this passage. For in a time when art, and indeed many creative endeavors, are devalued, and considered suspect even by those within the church, we can point to the tabernacle craftsmen that were first gifted with artistic abilities as examples of how important artistic hand skills are to the Lord. But that's not all. Listen to the rest of this passage. And he has inspired Bezalel to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver, or by a designer, or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Right at the first of that passage, there was something that caught my eye when I first read this. 
he ins- God inspired Bezalel to teach. To teach. <laughs> so through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Bezalel not only created artistic designs with skill and intelligence, but he taught others. In a culture today that consistently devalues the arts, artists and art education, that's all the validation that I need to know that the tasks that I've been blessed to receive, which is to create artistic designs myself and to teach others how to do the same, are valued by the God that I serve. Because of this knowledge, teaching art to others is a responsibility not to be taken lightly. This passage was transformational for me when I first encountered it years ago, and it was one of the main reasons that I was excited to get the opportunity over a decade ago to teach here at JBU. To be unshackled to teach in a way that placed the emphasis on our creative efforts squarely on God's shoulders where it has always belonged was a freedom I still sometimes have a hard time comprehending. It changed the way I look at art and faith. And somehow, for the first time, I truly realized that I cannot, I cannot separate my faith from my art or my faith from my teaching art to others. The work of our hands is valued by God. So that brings us back to the earlier question. Is the hand aspect of JBU still valid and relevant today? In an increasingly information and technology-driven world, is doing things with our hands still important? Will we even need hands in a future world? Why did God give us opposable thumbs if he didn't intend for us to use them? Yes, Bezalel and Aholiab were filled with the spirit to create artistic designs and to teach others how to do that. But that was a long time ago, Old Testament stuff. Creating things by hands is pretty old-fashioned, maybe even quaint these days, right? Well, first let's break down that term, work of our hands. I think it's already clear from Scripture that work is a holy calling, a sacred responsibility to serve Him and to serve others with our unique talents, gifts, and strengths. The very word work or vocation is from the Latin vocare, or to call. God makes no distinction between the secular and the sacred when it comes to work. To our Creator, all work is sacred. No matter where we are called and what we are working at, we are co-creators with God. We are sharing in God's work in whatever situation we are placed. This should point us back to the Colossians verse that we should work heartily for the Lord as it is ultimately Christ we are serving. Yu Welchel, in his blog, Establishing the Work of Our Hands, states, the biblical model of work is one of the most powerful means God provides for us to shape and influence culture, to inject salt and light into the world. As we seek to do our jobs with excellence and with accountability, we affect the workplace and those around us. In his book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, Thomas Cahill tells how Christian monks in the Middle Ages moved out of Ireland and into pagan Europe. Along the way, they established academies, universities, and hospitals. Through these new institutions, the monks transformed the local economies and cared for the unfortunate. The Irish monks' goal was not to change the pagan culture into the church. Instead, their vocation, their calling, was inspired by the gospel, and that changed the way they carried out their work. They worked for the flourishing of all mankind rather than strictly for themselves. So as all of you move towards graduation and into the broader world and begin your own careers, 
You must all decide how your vocation, your calling can be a holy calling. Is it enough just to be a good Christian in your workplace? I believe we are called to more than being a good coworker who models Christian behavior. Of course we want to do that. But I would challenge each of you, no matter your major, your career path, how we can seek out ways to shape and to transform our work culture, to establish the work of our hands in ways that serve and honor and glorify our risen Savior. That brings us back once again to hands. Hands, our hands can build, our hands can heal, our hands can do amazing things in conjunction with the head and with the heart. Manual labor can be a means to spiritual insights. Jesus was a carpenter, for heaven's sake. Listen to Proverbs 12, 14. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. There is a certain pride, a satisfaction in doing something with our hands. Even something as simple as repairing a faucet leak or building a bookshelf somehow confirms the deep human need to make things in a physical environment. And I believe there is some spiritual God-ordained thread that connects, thread to making that connects us with those who came before us, most of whom's very existence depended on their own handiwork. We all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, especially our own family ancestors who established families, homes, and livelihoods from their own hand labor. In my case, these two ladies are a couple of those ancestors who exemplify the godly wife as described in Proverbs 31. On the left is my mom's mom, Granny. Granny was a full-blood Muscogee Creek woman, tough as nails, who spoke little English. On the right is my dad's mom, Mamaw. Mamaw was a full-blood fourth-grade teacher and church piano player who probably spoke a little too much English. And yes, that's me with Mamaw. Their examples of labor and selfless care, both physical and spiritual, echo down the family tree to future generations. Their prayers for my protection and salvation, which I wasn't even aware of, were ultimately answered after their passing. And even though my life is much easier than theirs in terms of physical labor, I still today am blessed to be able to make a living for my own family as an artist working with my hands. These images of kinfolk are icons for me, not icons to worship, but to remember, to show honor and gratitude for the generations have come before. And for most of you, this may seem like a long way off, but remember that those who come after you will be standing on your shoulders. The work of your hands will establish their foundations. It may not involve the same kind of back-breaking labor of subsistence farming like it did for many families not that long ago, but the work of your hands offered to a holy God will resonate through you down to your future generations. This soul-stirring urge to make and to do should be nurtured at all costs by all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. As advancing technology makes us more and more passive to the things that are around us every day, I believe it's critical, critical to be involved in all facets of making, whether it's art or engineering, or nursing, writing, any endeavor. As society seems to move farther from an actual world 
into a virtual reality experience, those who create and those who make become the drivers of our future. God created Adam to work in the garden and gave him responsibility of it. Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit in order to work with his hands to create a beautiful tabernacle for a living God. Paul saw no shame in supporting himself as a tent maker while he was writing his letters to the early church. And our ultimate example, Jesus himself was a carpenter like his earthly father. These biblical examples clearly show there is honor and holiness in the work of our hands. This doctrine of the holiness of work fits perfectly in tandem with JBU's mission of head, heart, and hand. None can exist apart from the others. And I would argue that the hand aspect, the doing, the fulfillment of the promise of thinking and feeling is the ultimate response of worship of a God who created us to make and to do, to be creative for his glory. One last image of JBU back in the day I wanted to leave you with. This photo is of the print shop, one of the very first business interests set up on campus by John Brown. It may or may not have been in operation exactly 100 years ago, but I am happy to say that we are keeping the craft of printing by hand alive and well in the JBU Art Department print shop, which we call the Print Hive. In fact, the two gentlemen on the left are operating platen letterpress presses, of which we happen to have a machine just like that in the Print Hive that we print on in our classes. This photo just makes me happy to know that we're continuing a tradition of handwork that was begun by the founder of this university 100 years ago. I'll close with this famous image of praying hands by the German Renaissance artist and printmaker, Albrecht Dürer. Our hands, while certainly intended to actively create, to do, and to make, I think find their best and ultimate fulfillment in the repose of prayer in giving thanks in all things to our God. Please pray with me. Father God, I thank you for the protection and provision you provide us daily. Thank you for the hope of resurrection and help us to live out our lives fearlessly for your kingdom in light of this great promise of triumph over death. I also thank you for the gift of creativity and the ability to think and to feel and to make. In the beginning, you created and you have given us the same ability to be creative in our own lives, lived for you. Help us to be transformative in our creativity in ways that renew our minds and reshape our cultures. Help us to be mindful of the holiness of work and to take confidence in knowing that whatever we do, we are working heartily for you and not for men, knowing that from you we will receive our inheritance as our reward. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are serving. It's his name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and we'd love it if you would leave us a review.